I titled this sermon, God's Wrath and Grace. Because when we look at the flood, we see judgment. But when we look at Noah, we see God's grace. And when we follow as Noah did, we receive that grace. And so when I get excited about the story of Noah like I do the story of Christmas, it's because I see the message of grace, the message of salvation that is represented in the man of Noah. Okay? You're going to see that a lot as we go through this, that he keeps bringing up Noah and Noah and Noah. And um, I've said it before, but if there's a there's Christ figures in the Old Testament that represents the salvation that's going to come. Noah is one of those figures, okay? It is not Noah who saves, okay? It's God who saves. But it's the faith like we have, we see in Noah, that saves us through God's grace, right? God's grace is always first. It's always important to have. If we don't have it first, we don't have it at all, okay? And then faith comes after that, okay? We have to have that submission to his grace first, and then faith builds off of that. So we're in Genesis chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to look at um, these breaking down. Now, last week we talked a, a lot about numbers, and guess what? We have a lot more numbers this week as well. And as I looked and studied those. I am starting to understand them a little bit better, and um, so I'm going to bring some of that this morning, and hopefully you find it interesting. If not, we'll always think, I'll always think you should have. Verse 1, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go to the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now I will make the rains pour down on the earth, and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. And that is key to faith. Once you understand God's grace, once you understand that we have to have belief in him, we listen and obey. We obey the commandments. That's the, that is a rock-solid faith. And as you can see up on the outline, God judges the earth. And as I said before, Noah is a symbol of salvation. Noah came to the ark. Noah built the ark through faith. Noah practiced a righteous lifestyle. God honored that, and he saved him. And like Noah, we need to respond to God's calling to repent. Because there is only one path to salvation, Christ Jesus. Right? That's our main theme. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. The world, they want to tell you that there's several paths to salvation. 
that's simply not true. Because if you look at those paths, there's a lot of conflict in them. And the path of Christianity is the only one that says that God does the saving. God is the one who does it just because he can do it and not anything that we do, but only the hope in Jesus Christ. Noah has been made righteous by God. Noah gives his whole life to God. Okay? And in verse 2, we see, it says, take seven sacrificial animals. It talks about seven days, and it talks about seven uh, different birds as well. Seven speaks of holiness and the purpose of God. And notice it says, take seven pairs. It says that twice, and then it says, take two pairs. And both times, all three times it says, male and female. Now, I was looking at this, and I was listening to uh, Baruch talk about this as well, and it was interesting because he says that this is a point where he's emphasizing marriage one more time in the Bible, okay? And where do I get that? Where does he get that? And I've discovered that it comes from, in verse 3, male and female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive. God is a God of life. Marriage is about life. And if we don't have male and female, we don't have life. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to distort that. Because a male and a male, or female and female, can't produce life. Not naturally. And that is a distortion that we see today. And that is something that is is a major grievous in our country and is something that we need to watch out for and protect, okay? So it says seven pairs, uh, male and female, and that language is man and his wife, okay? So it's a, it's a bull and a heifer. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say bull and a cow. It says a bull and his wife, Okay, that's the language that's used in that passage to emphasize uh, the importance of this. And this one marriage is one thing that comes before the, the covenant that he has with Abraham. And it's a covenant that's pure and something I've studied. And here's another thing. I've always wondered, why do you release doves at a wedding? It's this passage right here. The seven doves that are paired together, that are released, it represents the first marriage of Adam, and then the second marriage that we see here represented by Noah and his wife, and then uh, his sons and his sons' wives as well. And I was like, aha. I was, when, before I do a tradition, I always want to know why I'm doing it. Otherwise, I, do, I don't really like to do them, honestly. I will not do a tradition. Why do we do that? Because we, we've always done it that way. That is not a good answer. You better remember why we're doing it, or we're not going to be doing it around here. That's plain and simple. Okay? Again, we have a reference to the marital relationship three times right here. In uh, the third time, we have it in verse 3 with the birds, male and female. That's why we release these at weddings. Why is God judging the earth? Is he a vengeful God? 
Is he a God that is quick to anger? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, it says in Numbers 14, 18, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even the children to the third and fourth generations. Okay. So if you struggle with a repetitive sin, caution, folks, because you're going to pass that on to your kids. Okay? It's one thing that I feel like I'm trying to be very transparent with my sins on the pulpit so my kids don't emulate some of those same sins, even though I can already see it in some of my boys as well because we're human and we have that sin nature, right? But as a father... I have a responsibility to guide them in that way and also to come alongside them when they do and show them how to walk out of that. That's very important. So I ask again, why is God judging the earth? We came back in the chapter before. Man thought evil thoughts all the time. There was no hope for man except for Noah. And for the seed to survive, God doesn't want to end the earth and start over. It's time for a change. And that's what the number 40 represents, a change. Something's going to happen. Um, there's a, a new plan, in a sense, or a shift in the plan when it comes to God. Because God doesn't have a new plan. He has the same plan that's executed from the beginning of time, and it's going to finish at the end of time, and I suppose it's probably going to last forever <laughs> without time, right? Because God's God. God is purging the evil from the earth. God cannot be in the presence of evil. There just happens to be one man who is wholeheartedly following the Lord, and this is Noah. From this point on, Noah represents God's plan of salvation, to the people of the time, if you are in relationship with Noah because of his relationship with God, you will be spared from God's wrath. I'm sure Noah's not only responsibility was to build the ark, but also to preach the gospel. Turn from your wicked ways and repent. That's the message of repentance that came from the very beginning of time with God to Adam and Eve it comes with John the Baptist. Jesus repeated it, and it continues on into the Pauline writings and the writing of Revelation. Listen and obey. Repent of your sins. It's what it is. It's the whole message, the gospel message. And like Noah, we need to respond to God's calling to repent because there's only one path to salvation, and that is Christ Jesus. Genesis chapter 7, verses 6 through 12 says, Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. He went on board the boat to escape the flood. He and his wife and his sons and their wives. With them were all the various kinds of animals, those approved for eating and for sacrifice, and those that were not, along with all the birds and, and the small animals, animals that scurry along the ground, scurry, scurry, and they entered the boat in pairs. 
man and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in a mighty torrent from the sky, and the rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. We have two verses there, and we have a ton of numbers in, those, in verses 11 and 12. Again, we bring up, so God saves a remnant. That's our, our second point there. God is purging evil. Verse 4, we see seven days. Seven days again represents holiness, purification, complete sanctification process. God is purifying the land. In seven days, he's going to do this. There is purpose in this destruction. God does not destroy because he just likes to be a God of destruction. It is to save humanity. Clearly, God is in this. How do we know that? Well, one, he's the one that shuts the boat to uh, save the seed in the first place, right? So how are we going to respond to a situation like Noah and his family are in? The result, we must respond in obedience. We must come alongside and respond in obedience. In Noah's case, it's to obey. Or he could do this. He could obey God, or he could go under his own merits and say, I'll go it alone. I will see how I do. And he's going to come up to death at that point. In both those points, right? You both come to death. And one of them's going to go to eternal life. And one of them's going to go to eternal death. And that's the same response that we have today. When we face death on our own merits, we are going to die eternally. When we face death with the merits of Jesus Christ... We have eternity forever. Or as they like to say in the sandlot, forever. Then you and I will both come to a place that we have to make that decision, don't we? Here again we find the number 40 comes up. 40 days and 40 nights. 40 reveals a transition or a change. A change more specifically for the will of God. God. A change for the will of God. Other places in the Bible, we see 40. Jesus fasts for 40 days. And then he starts his preaching circuit, doesn't he? The Israelites in the, in the desert for 40 years. And then they go to the promised land. Again, with the Israelites, they, are, they send the spies out for 40 days and then uh, they say, oh, we can't do it. And there's a transition. They go into exile. There's another example where God is purging those that don't have the faith so he can get the next generation and teach them how to have faith in him. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. He gets a new code of ethics. This is a change in the system. Ethics to live by. In this 40, God says, I will wipe away. 
we have the judgment of all, and only one is found righteous. When God wants to do something mighty, some mighty things in your life, he goes through the process of pointing out the sins or the sin patterns that he wants us to take on and work on, right? So if God's about to do something mighty in your life, God tends to reveal what you're struggling with in your day-to-day. And he says, I need you to take care of this to clean house here before you can do something mighty for me. So when you work this process, then we will work forward. Does that mean, that could mean lots of things, okay? So if we don't work on the process, we're not moving forward, okay? With what God has for us, is what I personally believe. Can we move forward with God's process? Yes, because God can do anything. Are we going to be more effective if we eradicate that sin? Absolutely. We're going to be more in tune with the Spirit. We're not going to quench the Spirit, like we talked about a few weeks ago. But we're going to be walking in step with the Spirit and convicted of our sins more clearly when we work to eradicate that sin from our lives. So how do we respond? When God gives us that challenge to work on that sin, do we run to him? Because I've been failing the last three years trying to get rid of that sin, Lord. Well, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you instead of that yoke of sin that you have on yourself. I still have a a yoke, don't I, though? I need to work at walking in step with him, or I can say no. It is my choice to tell God no. And what happens? I will wallow in my sin. I will become ineffective and unproductive. How do you know that? I've read 1 Peter. That's how I know. Right? I've read James. He says, you can say one thing, but if you don't do it, dude, you don't got faith. I'm sure that's how he said it too back then in the Hebrew. It's how it's translated, I'm sure. You don't got faith, right? White Rose, as a church, will we be found faithful? Working together in community for community for Jesus Christ. It is our choice how we are going to go. You know, I've been, this is, this is something, this is a little testimony to you guys from, from me. Um, seeing different things happen, different people in their transitions in life, and, and sometimes that can get me down. But this week, man, I have been so stinking pumped what God is going to do at White Rose. And I cannot explain it only if it comes from the Holy Spirit. So I am so excited to see what God is going to do in this church right now. Because it's, it's, he's all we got, right? If we don't depend on him, we're nothing. And we've never had to depend on him more than right now. So God is going to do something amazing if we remain faithful. Are we going to remain faithful and follow him? Are we going to clean up our lives so we can set an example for what he has? Or are we going to stay comfortable? And where are we going to just watch And we are just going to sit around and then decay and atrophy 
And then pretty soon we can't get out of the pew to do what we need to do for the Lord. It's our choice. It is really down to us. He gives us that choice. What are you going to do? I chose to follow him this week. There's a peace that passes understanding. All right, son, you better get ready. So I'm going to tell you, all right, church, you better buckle up because he's got something for us. I know he does. Wow. Get ready. Obedience, a.k.a. God's will be done. Are we dependent on ourselves or on the Lord? Noah is the most righteous man on the earth. Guess what happens in chapter 10? Man messes up again, right? The Tower of Babel happens in chapter 10. That's probably, we'll be there in two weeks, okay? The Noah experiment fails. We'll take the most righteous guy that we have, and we will put him against anything. And he falls as soon as we invent the brick. Dang it. <laughs> man. The best man, and man will still fall short. Well, I can identify with that, right? Every time I try to depend on my self-righteousness, I fall short. I can't get through I can't get by with it. I don't know how to do it. So, man, I can come to this conclusion, though. Man can't do it on their, our own. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own either. We need Jesus. We need faith. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 and 7, it, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and it rewards those who sincerely seek him. Another way, place it says in uh, Jeremiah 29, it says, if you will seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. You can't go halfway, folks. You can't have a dirty closet and say, well, I'm seeking God with most of my house. It doesn't work that way. Clean the house. Clean the closet. Amen? It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about these things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. If Noah gives up, humanity is done for. But because he trusted and obeyed, he condemned all the wickedness. Right? God says that's not going to work. Man can't be his own judge. Man can't be his own um, standard. I have to have something bigger than that. That's when he brings the law in, right? He brings the law in through Moses so that we have a standard to live by. The law doesn't measure up. It says that in Hebrews. It says it in Romans. It says it, guess what, throughout the whole Bible. If you follow the rules, you'll get to heaven. That's works, folks, right? Am I blowing steam up here? Right, it is. We have to have something bigger. God says, I'll send my son. He will be big enough. Was he? Yeah. Woohoo! Yes, he was, right? 
He could take this sin. He could handle it. And praise God he did, because if we were dependent on preachers, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> like, what? It's true. All right, verse 6, check this out. Noah, 600 years old. Six. Six is the number, man's number, in relationship to God. Jim and I have talked about that. It says, six is man's number. Yes, I will agree with that. In relationship to God. Because seven is sanctification. Seven means we've arrived at holiness in a sense. Six is falls short of that. So man always falls short in relation to God. When you see the number six in the Bible, you should look for grace. You should look for redemption. Five, you can also look for grapes as well. You look for a redeemer with six. Uh, I got them confused a little bit there. Five is grace. Six, you look for a redeemer. Okay? Man falls short, but is in pursuit of God's grace. That's what we see in Noah. Sacrificial love, unmerited favor in the sight of the Lord. Noah was an image of safety for the ark, the animal, and his family. It doesn't say the ark saved them. It doesn't say the animals were saved in the ark. It says they were with Noah and they were saved because he was considered righteous according to Hebrews chapter 11 and also according to the Lord. So, I believe Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he is an image of God's grace. Okay? We need to turn back to the Lord. Repent. We find a deliverance through God's grace with Noah. If we are with Noah, we are saved in this story, right? Noah stands for the Lord. He seeks a redeemer. He knows he's not good enough. He needs a, a savior. If we turn from our sins, if we live in faith in the Lord, the Lord will save us, and then we will listen and obey and it will go well with you. Just like we sang this morning, we will be compelled to go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. It is a commission for us to tell others about Jesus Christ. I hated hearing that in church. I hated it. You know why? Because I sucked at it. It was like the drain at the end of the bath was my testimony for evangelism. I couldn't do it. I was too scared. You know why I was scared? You know the biggest reason why I was scared? Because I was afraid they'd reject my Savior. So I thought I had to come up with this perfect scenario so that they, the only way they could do was to say yes. Oh, so I worked on my testimony, and I worked, and I struggled to evangelize, and I thought I had it, and I was good, and I shared it with my best friend, and I get up there to share it, and my tongue goes, mm. The Lord said, that's not how we do things around here, son. That's basically, you come up with this formula to share Jesus Christ? That's works-based, buddy. And I'm like, but it's you. No, no, no. You made it so much about you. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I was 18. You'd think I'd, I'd grown up in the church all my life. 
I accepted Jesus when I was four years old. I knew salvation. I knew how to do it. And he said, no, you don't. Oh, dang it. I'm not going to let him hear that story. I'm going to tongue-tie you right now because that is what is not going to happen today. I find that if you trickle the gospel in, if you bring Jesus up little by little in the conversation, they will allow it or they won't allow it. And you will find out if you can share the gospel or you can't share it. You can't go up to somebody and say, well, I'm a Christian and I believe that if you want to get to heaven, you need to accept the Lord. What do you think about that? If you could just say a little prayer, everything will work out for you. That's not how it works. That is not how the Lord wants it. He wants faith, and then he wants us to live in righteousness because of our faith. In obedience. It is much harder than that. So is his yoke lighter than the burden of my sin? Absolutely, because we have two people holding up that yoke. But it's still a yoke. You still got to work. A lot of times I veer to left because I assume that I'm on the left side and he's on the right side because I'm wrong and he's right. Slow on that there. But praise God, he is a loving God. And he's got a beefy left shoulder because he can pull us back into the, in the fence. Which is funny because when I, I'm in a yoke, I'm always on the left side. But when I'm on the fence, I'm always on the right side. And he's always on the left side. In my, in my mind, I always, I always veer this way. And he's over there. I don't know why that is. Um, because I always think I'm right. He's, he always is right. Let's go over this hill. I should describe that picture to you sometime. He will forgive us, won't he? He will forgive us. Wow. He will forgive us. In America, I hear it all the time. They go with, well, I'm basically a good person. I'm a good person. I like to think I'm a good person. That's, that's the popular one right there. I like to think I'm a good person. Oh, do you? They're inviting the question. Let's put it to the test there, aren't they? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever lied? Have you ever committed adultery in your heart by lusting out another woman? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Those are four questions you can ask right there. Probably not that fast. But all those things, and they're like, well, yeah, well, according to the Ten Commandments, you've just failed four, and we're not going to go the rest of them. God demands perfection for his. There's only one that was perfect. There's only one that can save. That's Jesus Christ. And unless we reach out to him, unless you reach out to him, you will not be saved. That's a scary prospect, isn't it? God sees that how we are good or not. My question to somebody that asks that, are you willing to risk it all on your goodness? And a lot of times they are, because that's how they're going to hell. But I have a better way. I have Jesus Christ. I have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ to their good enough way. Do you know you're going to heaven? I'd like to hope so. 
can you, you can know so, right? You can know so if you know and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we able to recognize that our only hope and salvation is only found in Christ Jesus? God is working in his sovereignty to bring about his kingdom in your heart and in mine. It starts in our hearts, folks, and it spreads to other people's. It is not an easy task all the time. We can have life in Christ Jesus. We can be a Noah to somebody else because man is in desperate need of a redeemer. It's a little crazy, but it's spelled out very much so in verses 10 and 11. And this was just eye-popping for me this week, so bear with me. Again, we have the seven days brought up again. Purification through the will of the Lord. God purifies so that we can be sanctified, okay? When we're sanctified, that means we're walking in step with the Lord. There was only one person walking in step with the Lord. It was Noah, okay? Because he had faith in God. So he's bringing us to that point. 600. 600 is a six. 100 doesn't matter. It's usually when you, the more zeros you get on it, the more serious it is um, when it's brought up in the Bible. Six is man needs is in need of a redeemer, God's grace. Nothing that we can do, only God has does and has done. Number two, the second month we see that it's usually a divergent. You can go this path or you can go this path. Well, Noah has a choice. You can choose death or you can choose life, just like Adam and Eve had. You can choose the tree of life or you can choose the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Both have a path. It's a divergent. You can take one or the other. You can't go down the middle. can't have it all. You have a choice to make, your way or God's way. 17, 17th day of the second month, that's where we got the two, the second month. 17 is broken up for two numbers. First is the number 10, which is perfection. God is completeness. And then seven is God is sanctified, set apart, a remnant to be saved. Okay? Number 40 is the transition. The transition is going to happen in seven days for 40 days. Life is going to be different after this. You have to choose now. Wow. That is walking right up to the gospel. We have a choice. Are we going to choose Christ Jesus or are we going to choose um, death? Like Noah, we need to respond to God's calling to repent because there is only one path to salvation, Christ Jesus. Let's finish the chapter. Verse 13, it says, That very day Noah came into the boat with his family, with his, with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two they come to into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A man and a female of every kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For forty days the waters grew deeper and covering the ground, lifting the boat high above the earth. As the water rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface." Finally, the water covered the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet 
we'll say 15 cubits, that's what it says in the Hebrew, above the highest peaks. All the living things on the earth died. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, scurry, scurry, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God, God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, animals that scurry along the ground, scurry, scurry, and the birds of the earth. All were destroyed. Why is he listed twice? Because it's all inclusive. Okay, everything was there, everything was destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. The flood waters covered the earth for 150 days. Another number. 15 cubits, 150 days, deals with the Lord. We'll get into that. God's grace is how I titled this last one. God provides what is needed for life to survive. God saves a remnant. He gives not only Noah a choice to get in the boat. I'm sure Noah said, the rain is coming. You got to get in here with me. They chose to stay away. I don't think it was a big army that came to the boat. I think when God closed that door, the end was now. If Noah said, oh, I forgot my keys, God's like, no, I got the keys Boom, here we go. You know, it wasn't going back out after they went in. God provides what is needed for life to survive. God saved a remnant. He finalizes it by sealing up the door. It was done by the Lord from the outside, not the inside. Which is, you would never do that with a boat. Think about that. You would never seal a boat from the outside. You would always want it from the inside. And God does it. He seals it. And so with the transition begins, 40 days and 40 nights of rain, God, by his grace, lifted the ark over the judgment. The judgment came from above and from below, and he raises it up over the water and saves them. God lifts the seed over the judgment. I'm going to replant you, but it is not time yet. So much so, it's 15 cubits over every mountain. Noah and his family were raised up to God. Thus, God purifies the earth of sin and evil, and he sets them apart as holy. Wow. And then man screws up again in chapter 10, right? But not God. God didn't. God continues to work with man, praise God, or else I'd be in trouble. God wiped out every living thing. And this is like, reminds me of the broad and the narrow road in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway of hell is broad and his gate is wide for many who can choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is is difficult. Only a few will ever find it. In this case, we only had eight. And all who go, and all who go to their path, their own path, will be destroyed. Noah and those with him will see God 
saved them. For everybody on the earth who chose God, God saved them by their choice to have faith in them. Friends, this is the message of grace. When we choose God, he will lift us up. We have the 15 cubits, we have the 150 days, relates to God and man being lifted up to be set apart for the Lord. That's the number 10 and the 5, those having to deal with God seeking grace and giving it through his perfection. Friends, like Noah, we need to respond to God's calling to repent because there is only one path to salvation, and it is Christ Jesus. If you haven't heard that enough today, that was one more time. We have a Savior who longs to have a relationship with us, and that is our choice. That is what communion is all about, is getting right with the Lord, is asking Him to forgive us and cleanse us and remember what he did on the cross for us so that we might have eternal life with him. The last point I want to make in the story is if you look at Noah and his wives, they were saved because they were with Noah. And like they were with Noah, we need to be with Jesus to be saved from hell. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you uh, represent life and life to the fullest. We can have that through your son, Jesus Christ, when we submit to you, Lord. We submit our anger. We submit our hate. We submit our tomfoolery. And we submit the list that we read in, in Romans to you, Lord. Lord, I don't want to be a hater of my brother. I don't want to be a hater of my enemy. Lord, I want to have compassion. I, don't, I want to strive to know you in a way that is supernatural, Lord, that you raise me over my sins and that you rescue me from this present evil age. Lord, I ask that for the same for this congregation as we are about to take communion, Lord. Allow our hearts to get right with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.